We solemnly swear we're up to no good. Hi, I'm Gary Roby. I'm Victoria Laguna. And we're the hosts of Harry Potter Minute, the fan podcast where we overanalyze the Harry Potter movies one magical minute at a time. Join us as we argue about whether or not McGonagall would meow at Dumbledore. She wouldn't. As we ponder just how much Harry's fortune is worth. Just $40. As we guess how much mileage one gets out of an Ollivander wand. 100,000 jinxes. As we detail the ins and outs of Hogwarts Castle. It's only a model. Join us Monday through Friday, only from DuelingGenre.com. Mischief Managed. Dueling Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. This week, we're discussing Batman and Robin from the 1966 film Batman the Movie. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest Nick English. Welcome back, Nick. Atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. And uh, producer Andrew is going to be jumping in some on this discussion. Welcome, Andrew. Hi. I, I am afraid that some people heard you ramping up into that. And they heard Batman and Robin, and they were on pins and needles waiting to make sure that you didn't say from Batman <laughs> the classic and Robin. George Clooney film with Chris <laughs> O'Donnell featuring the governor and Uma Thurman. Are you saying yeah. something you know that wouldn't want to say Alicia Silverstone? Yeah. And Alicia Silverstone. Yeah. That was the reason I watched that movie. But. There's some, uh, there are let's some save good some discussion of that. Movie. Yeah, we, we need to circle <laughs> back and talk about the different tones that Batman has had through the years. But let's do that after uh, we get through some of the, the trivia or the uh, the plot summary here. So uh, Batman the movie was written by Lorenzo Semple Jr. and directed by Leslie H. Martinson. It starred Adam West as Batman, Bert Ward, Bert Ward as Robin, Lee Merriweather as Catwoman, Cesar Romero as Joker, and Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, and also Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. And it was released okay, I was in theaters. Say, you gotta include him. Yes, it was released in theaters on July thirtieth, nineteen sixty-six. Now, uh, Nick and Andrew both, I guess. Uh, what is your memories of the nineteen sixties Batman TV series, which was made decades before any of us that are discussing this were born? I was born in the year of our Lord, 1980. And I remember watching this on PBS. It was on PBS for you. As a young child, on, 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 on PBS, they had Batman reruns. And my, dad's, my dad was an avid collector of comic books as a young boy. He also loved superhero shows. Um, and so he would as a good father and as a good parent would try to expose me to all of his favorite things. And one of them was Batman. Um, and once we found out that it was on PBS, we would put the VHS recorder in <laughs> tape it on live TV. And then we had, you know, stacks of VHS tapes <laughs> where I could rewatch Batman episodes. Um, I mean, we only had like probably two or three of them. And I mean, the original series was so formulaic that they were all pretty much the same story. They just had a different villain in each one. How dare you? Know, you? It's like, How dare you, <laughs> sir? Insert, insert villain here. Insert 
crazy situation where Batman's not going to be able to escape. Next, same time, next back channel. Next one, he miraculously gets out in some ridiculous way, and then you know they figure it out. Um, which you know, back in the '60s, you could do that a lot easier. If you ever try to binge <laughs> the Batman '66 series, I would recommend doing it one episode at a time every week because <laughs> <laughs> it makes so much Sick. or you know like at least do the two-parter same and then be done time. because same it gets channel. really it gets same same story time same story <laughs> channel and so when we were going to do batman i said we got to do the movie because this is the best story that they've done <laughs> in a lot of ways but a- andrew what are, what are your memories of uh the old batman tv show <laughs> really don't have memories of the show i have memories of this movie because you had a copy well um, there were rights issues that prevented the show from appearing a lot on. of distribution and re-airing yeah. and and all uh-huh. of that and i do remember um so when i was in college we took a trip to hollywood there was an alumni who or alumnus however that that form sure. delineates yeah. um <laughs> I think um, it's Illuminati is what it is. <laughs> yes. And he um, gave us a, like an actually behind the scenes tour of um, Fox studios. And we saw costumes oh. and everything. And um, he, his official job was, was one of the photo archivists. And so he had been working on box materials leading up to, um, you know, planned release stuff. And so he had all of these images of the stars of the Batman series. And he just like, he let us flip through this photo album of just Whoa. all of these images. He's like, it's all promotional yeah. stuff. So we can't actually like put it out there because of the rights issues. But someday, you know, we, we just kind of have this back burner thing where someday they'll need boxes. <laughs> yeah. It was a couple of years ago that they finally got the rights sorted out and a, a complete series dvd set was put out i proudly own it uh (laughs) but for a long time the only way you ever caught it is if you had the right cable channel and you could catch on syndication because they weren't able to put the series out for distribution through vhs or dvd other than this movie so this movie was a pretty early dvd release uh the one that we're talking about today because it had separate distribution issues or or, or, uh, deals set up but I remember as a kid, I remember a lot of Batman marathons on like FX. Yes. I was gonna say as a kid, I remember like that. when we first got cable, the family channel, uh, I think is what it was called, which is now ABC family or no, now it's Freeform. Has it changed? again? <laughs> I don't know. Free, yeah. It changes every <laughs> few years, but the family channel would air this the episodes of the 1960s Batman TV show uh, at a certain time. And that is my exposure to it was was like that became appointment viewing because it was so fun and bright and for a kid this is really hitting a lot of of the high points for entertainment um especially a kid who's like at that age i was like becoming interested in superheroes and it's like well here's this hour-long superhero show every you know i can't remember if it was every day or every weekend amazing we'd watch it yeah um the movie that we're talking about today what is in fact the first feature live action feature film starring Batman ever released in theaters. And there were movie serials in the 1940s. Um, I think it was two series. Our brother, John is probably yelling at us. <laughs> if I'm wrong on that through, <laughs> through the earbuds right now, because he, he wrote I'll, his I'll master's thesis about Batman. <laughs> um, and obviously there have been many Batman movies since, but 
Adam West oh, is just a few. The first live action Batman. Uh, and and I th- I think and he will he forever is... be known as the Bright Knight. That's what he wanted to be called. Not not he's they, definitely uh, not the Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah. And so after and and unfortunately he has passed on the last few years, and and Burt Ward, um, especially like at his funeral, they they lit up this big like bat symbol in the sky with the you know, his symbol, not the new symbol. And, and Burt Ward said like in his, at the end thing of his, uh, you know, eulogy is, as that you will always be known as the bright knight. Um, and I think, I mean, that pretty much sums up like this, you know, this version of Batman, because I can't find anything dark about him. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and if you've seen later film adaptations, they sometimes lean into the darkness. A bit. Yes. <laughs> Especially George Clooney. <laughs> because George, well, no. say, there, there's been so many different tones of Batman adaptations that have been released. And some of them do go more playful and campy. Like the Batman and Robin. It's probably other than the Adam West, Burt Ward, Batman and Robin well, version. And there was Batman the, Forever the, that kind of was campy not, as well. Those... But it's not nearly as campy as they get to with Batman no. and Robin, the George Clooney and uh, Chris O'Donnell, uh, Joel Schumacher directed yeah. film. But there's something about that version of campiness that somehow it doesn't, does not work the way the 1960s Batman one does. And I, I think it's interesting to think about like all of these are, even the like the grim dark ones, which I'm not, a huge fan of like the grimmest, darkest versions of Batman that, that have been out. But these are all valid versions of Batman that, that are out there and they might not be your favorite. And some may resonate more with others, but I think there's been successful dark versions of Batman and unsuccessful dark versions of Batman. And there's been successful, bright, funner versions of Batman and unsuccessful, bright, funner versions of Batman. And it's a character with such a long history that there's this huge spectrum that his comic book adventures and his adaptations have fallen into. And what works isn't always just about what tone they're trying to strike. There are other issues that come into play as to whether an adaptation works or not. Well, I think that we should learn more about this movie now. Yes. (laughs) I want to know what's in this movie. Well, real quick, though, this this movie was released shortly after the first season of the 1960s Batman TV series, and most of the cast came directly from the TV series, with the exception of Lee Merriweather playing Catwoman, Catwoman. who Catwoman had been Julie Newmar in season one, and Julie Newmar would play her again in season two, and then Arthur Kitt would play Catwoman in season three. And... Who was African-American. Mm-hmm. Which was The awesome. film <laughs> has a 78% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Which I was expecting it to be worse than that when I was looking up trivia. So well, and I have... want to know who says that it's not. <laughs> Personally, I'm going to go have a discussion with those people. Before we move on to the full summary, listeners, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and listening. We especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least $8 per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now on to the full synopsis of Batman the movie. And I will be summarizing the plot, 
so much of the joy of this movie is in the tone. So if you have access to this film, you should go watch it just to appreciate the bright colors, the uh, deliberately campy acting, and some of the lines that these actors are called on to deliver with straight faces, with overly like straight and somber faces. The writing in this is pretty phenomenal. Batman and Robin are called to go investigate a threat to Commodore Schmidlap on his yacht. So they run Wonderful to the Batcopter. Yes. And uh, you can see the budget for this show or for the movie was different than the TV show because we get the Batcopter, the Batboat and the Batcycle, which separates needlessly. Uh, <laughs> none of which I <laughs> so- think ever appear on the TV series. The TV series, you just get the Batmobile. The, the bat cycle like they're driving up to the bat copter in one scene and like they make a like deploy sidecar and and it separates and robin goes off to one side and, and then he's in this, just he's in this tiny car like his his feet barely fit in it and he like has to crunch over and hold on to the front of it it's like the worst go-kart ever most uncomfortable thing in the world and, and the two pieces like just go to the opposite sides of the bat copter and stop that's it. And then he gets out I'm and just sorry, goes, and you're saying that's needless? <laughs> oh, no. Because he did get to the other side of the backcopter. It's, it's it's critical. It's for maximum speed for takeoff. Right. They need right. to get there. You I can't mean, climb across. Batman's you can't have Robin climbing across to the other side. Well, that would so be they, dangerous because uh, he might hit the he might he might hit the control stick and then the helicopter goes all skewy. <laughs> I mean, that's helicopter the, etiquette 101. <laughs> I'm, I'm me never being in a helicopter track. i know that <laughs> i don't know I'm just making stuff up. so batman and Robin run to the batcopter they take off they get out over the ocean batman lowers himself from a ladder down to the yacht which suddenly disappears and batman keeps lowering down into the ocean and now a shark attacks batman and latches onto his leg but robin hands him down with a little neat bit of uh of gym- gymnastics he he hands him down the shark repellent bat spray batman sprays the shark it falls off of his leg which it had clearly been a foam shock shark wedged between adam west's leg and the ladder to hold it there well and if you and look then, at the shark when it first comes out i noticed this it comes out of the water and clearly there is a, ho- a huge hole at the bottom of the shark and all the water that was inside of the model is like pouring out of its tail <laughs> So you need to go watch it again and look for the spout. And it looks like he's like peeing or something, but it's big. Like it's this huge thing coming out of the bottom of the shark. It's awesome. So Batman uses the shark repellent bat spray, which is one of several repellents that were available to them. There's uh, also whale, barracuda and manta ray. The shark falls away and then explodes. Batman and Robin now go and hold a press conference about the incident, but very quickly they insist we don't want to take questions about the disappearing yacht. That's not what the story's about, guys. I just love that. We're going to hold a press conference about the disappearing yacht. Two questions in. Uh, I don't want to talk about the yacht anymore. <laughs> so Sounds like pretty the- much like every like press conference that I've seen in the last like <laughs> yeah. four years. Why are you so focused on the disappearing yacht? Because that's what this press conference is about, sir. <laughs> Uh, after the press conference, Batman and Robin absurdly deduce that this event could only mean that Catwoman, Riddler, Joker, and the Penguin have teamed up. And when I say absurdly, no, I mean it's not it absurdly. Is, it they, is. They look up known super criminals at large. Okay, and they That's have the a beautiful bit. slideshow, and it's one and, of the greatest scenes ever. And, and it, it is. It is an excellent sequence of collaboration with 
the legal authorities. Granted, in the, in this series, Batman and Robin have platinum badges and they are legal authorities. Yeah, but fully deputized. No, they're fully they're deputized working, officers of the law. Yeah, they are working with the cops to determine which of these villains might be involved, which is all of them. I mean, we have right. we have to at least say the dialogue, right? Yes. So it says, Do you have this at your beck and call? I, I can I can I think I can rep- repeat it for verbatim. So Gordon says, "Could be any one of them, but which one? Which ones? <gasps> Pretty fishy. What happened to me on that ladder? You mean where there's a fish, there could be a penguin? But wait, it happened at sea. Sea, sea for Catwoman. Yet an exploding shark was pulling my leg." The Joker! It all adds up to a sinister riddle. Riddler? Riddler! Oh, the thought strikes me so dreadful I scarce dare give it utterance. The four of them combined? Holy nightmare! Something like that. It's pretty close. (laughs) That's pretty good. Yeah. I was just just gonna say the it happened at sea. C for Catwoman. <laughs> like that's my that favorite is, one. <laughs> that's my favorite one as well. Yeah, it's, and the uh, easiest to remember. So now fishy. we see those four villains have teamed up, and they are calling themselves the United Underworld, and they have kidnapped Commodore Schmidlap. And they and have his an invention. amazing logo. Have you seen it their is logo? An octopus with tentacles wrapping around Gotham yeah, it's City. Painted up on the back of their you know if you got to look at it it's painted on the back of their um hideout inside of a shanty like sea what i don't know what to call bar a tavern yeah tavern yeah, yeah I, I don't know i was like speakeasy i don't know what to call it but yeah it's wonderful so the united underworld have uh kidnapped commodore schmidlap and taken his invention now batman and robin deduce that the yacht could not have simply disappeared so they go get into the bat boat right so first time trouble on the yacht go to the bat copter second time gotta go inspect a mysterious buoy bat boat that's what's called for right now well but you can they stop right like, he can't he can't land in the water in the bat copter it makes perfect <laughs> sense to get the bat boat Yes. Uh, they go to this mysterious buoy that uh, they realize may have had a hand in the disappearing yacht, and they discover it has a projector inside of it. But holy the United Underworld... Micro, holy lens, Batman. I don't remember yes. what he says. Something like The that. United Underworld has a war surplus submarine that they use to go and shoot torpedoes at Batman and Robin. But Where can I get myself one of those? See porpoise sacrifices itself <laughs> to save them by throwing itself in front of the torpedo's path. Uh, and it's not just a war sur- surplus submarine. It's one they've tricked out with uh, penguin paraphernalia. So painted, it looks... They painted it up. Yeah. So there's no looks... confusion of who owns that submarine. Yeah, because if you are a supervillain, you want everyone to know. Yes. So so Catwoman pretends to be a Soviet reporter named Katanya Irenia Tatanya Kerenska Alasov, and she uses her feminine wiles to help kidnap Bruce Wayne. The villains hope that a kidnapped millionaire will cause Batman to come to the rescue. Classic moment in uh, in Crosswires when it comes to Bruce Wayne and Batman. Uh, fortunately, Bruce Wayne is able to escape. Batman and Robin return to the United Underworld secret base, but there is only a bomb waiting for them. Fearing for the safety of bystanders, Batman tries to throw the bomb into the ocean, uh, but some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Everywhere he turns, there's an innocent bystander. Eventually, he does get rid of it, though. 
The penguin I mean, there's pretends... ducks, and he's not going to throw them on the ducks. Yeah, well, they're baby ducks, you know. If yeah. there's a duckling, you can't. And when I say he's running around with a bomb, imagine Looney Tunes-style round black ball with a fuse sparking. That is what he's running around with. I'm sure Holding you've it probably over seen his head, stuff. it's larger than his torso. <laughs> there's some running... really good gifs of this one floating around. <laughs> or gifs. I know, listeners. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's for another day. Uh, no- now the penguin pretends to be Commodore Schmidlap in a disguise that fools no one. Uh, he dehydrates five henchmen, uh, but through a weird series of logic puzzles, Batman and Robin decide they have to take Commodore Schmidlap to the Batcave. Uh, now he he used Commodore Schmidlap's machine, which is a dehydrator, to turn five henchmen. When I say he dehydrated them, I mean they turned into little piles of powder. And he he clearly that's what little... an undehydrated person would look like. Yes, he takes these piles of powder with him as he's taken into the Batcave. And once he's in there, he rehydrates his henchmen. However, when they are punched during a fight, they literally disappear in the blink of an eye. And the penguin, it turns out, rehydrated them using heavy water, which left them unstable, obviously. Uh, it's the the villains... same water that they used for his atomic core in the Batcave. So clearly yeah. it's unstable. <laughs> Nuclear power happening in the Batcave, uh, just on the the edge of Gotham City. Now, the villains go and dehydrate the leaders of the world at the United World Security Council. And they have now turned all of the leaders of the most powerful nations on Earth into different colored powders that they have gathered. Batman and Robin (laughs) pursue the villains and they rescue the powder forms of the Security Council. Unfortunately, during the fight, the vials containing the powder are broken and mixed up. So Batman uses his super molecular dust separator to sort out that mixed dust. And it was color coded. So that was also useful for them. Uh, Now they, in a moment that is going to be televised around the world, Batman prepares to rehydrate all of the world leaders. And he does. And it is announced that it's been successful. However, when they start to look closely, all of them are now speaking different languages than did, than they did before, and also using very broad stereotypical body language to clearly dif- signal that something has been mixed up in this process. Batman says they've done the best they could, but hopefully this mixing of the minds of the world leaders will do more harm than good. Exit through the window, Robin. The end. And I love that they're do like... you mean more good than harm? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. I did. I did. I would do more good than harm. I'm sorry. Whoops. I meant more good than harm. Uh, Just go ahead and keep that in, Andrew. I think listeners will enjoy that. (laughs) That's so funny. I think one of my favorite parts is when he says they're all sitting there, like, still yelling at each other. You know, it's like they didn't, they got frozen in time. And then as soon as they're rehydrated, they're all still yelling at each other at the council. And then Batman and Robin, who are on TV, I'm sure. He's like, let's make our leave, Robin. Quickly, through that window. We'll use the bat ropes. And then they just shanty over to the window. (laughs) And it's like, nobody's going to notice that Batman and Robin are walking away right now. And then they take the bat ropes, which is this little piece of twine, and wrap it around the handle that you open the window with. And that's going to support them going down this 20 story building. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you're braver than I am. <laughs> There's so much to love about this movie. Uh, oh. I don't know how they managed to nail the campiness so properly. Some of it is definitely in the earnest line readings. And Andrew, just before we started recording, you said you kind of had the realization at a certain point, 
like as a kid, this is all great fun. But then there comes a point where like, this is really kind of stupid guys. But you think maybe because it's just an old show that they just didn't know any better. But then there comes the latter realization. It's like that mind meme, right? Where it's like, oh, they knew when they're having fun. They're all in on the joke. And well, the audience would have been then as well. Julie Newmar gave an interview where she said that after every single take, the directors would say, guys, you have to say it without, we don't want you to to sap it up. Like none of these lines, like it was literally every single time that they would say more serious, more serious, more serious. You have to play this like it's serious. Otherwise it's not going to work. And so they were very aware of the tone that they wanted to set and what happened. The original pilot of this show, uh, you know, of the series tanked like terribly. And it was because they did try to make it serious, you know, because the Batman comics were more serious and, and, and different. But this, at and, this point in the fifties and sixties, they were pretty campy and pretty broad. A lot of sci-fi adventures, very kid. friendly. They were trying, uh, they were trying to duplicate the, they were trying to duplicate the Superman show mm-hmm. that was more serious. That was well, and also the earlier Batman thought. serials had been more serious. Yeah, and and it wasn't until they they released the pirate pilot and everyone was like, "We don't like this show," um, that they were like, "Okay, maybe we, you know, maybe we'll we'll change it up a little bit." And also, when they did that, people didn't understand it. They were like. I, I'm so used to like Batman being serious that this up until that point, NBC, I think it was NBC or ABC, whomever it was, they, um, that was the worst rated pilot that they'd ever had was be- the first Batman pilot. And it was because people didn't understand that it was supposed to be campy. They thought it was going to be serious. And so they shifted their marketing campaign and they basically just did, showed the, the pow and the whap and all of the just silly things that we totally associated with it so that the audience was prepared for the tone of the show. They weren't coming in expecting it to be this serious Superman superhero show, you know, where he saves the day that they could be prepared for that silliness. And, you know, it worked, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, there's all sorts of different audience expectations and, not having those managed correctly can lead to failures of products like products that can be fine. If the audience doesn't, uh, isn't probably like calibrated in terms of what genre they're expecting or what tone is going to be delivered. It absolutely can lead to failure. And Batman, like I said, in the comics at this point was pretty campy because of the comics code authority and the big scare in the 1950s that shifted so much of the content away from seriousness to, um, very child friendly and simple morality tales and crazy sci-fi adventures that didn't have consequences and those sorts of things. But uh, the larger audience who wasn't reading those comics would have, if they were familiar with Batman, it was probably from those 1940s Batman serials, which had been uh, a bit more serious while still being kid friendly movie serials. Uh, But it was not the same kind of campiness that you see uh, like fully embraced and leaned into in this Adam West Burt Ward version of the character. Yeah. One thing that was kind of funny is when Adam West, they were originally trying to find who um, they would get for this show. 
um, they actually had a few people in in mind. Um, and they saw a commercial that Adam West had done for Nesquik. And if you go on YouTube and you look up Adam West Nes, Nes, uh, Nesquik, um, there's just it's just a short thing, and he's acting like he's James Bond. But and there's this Bond villain that's across from him that's like, let's share this, let's share this Nesquik, and he's like, oh, I do need some energy, and it's, I mean, it's so funny, it's just silly that it is, but like that was one of the things that they saw that was like, hey, this is the type of guy that we came in, and when he came in, he he was like, I don't know if I want to do this, um, and he had also been offered the role of James Bond in His Majesty's Secret, Secret Service. And he turned down that role. He said, no, I love James Bond and a, and a British person should play it. And so he turned down the role and then they hired an Australian <laughs> for that first <laughs> movie. And, and even later on in his life, he says he kind of regrets that because the reason he did it, they didn't even follow through with anyway. But, um, and he also regretted it too because he got typecast after that as Batman and he, he struggled right. getting work after the show. And if he would have been Bond as well, you know, he could have, you know, done more with his career. But, you know, I, I, I'm completely fine with him not being Bond. I mean, he would have been a good Bond. But, but yeah, I just it's found hard that for me to imagine really interesting. Because all the roles that I've seen him in are either this Batman or like later parodying of that Batman, like with the same kind of stilted line delivery uh, and, and, and this style. So like, this is all I can picture him as. And I'm sure he had a wider range as an actor. And, and like you said, he was completely typecast. And because of that typecasting, this is all, like, I have a really hard time imagining him in a more serious role. Well, go watch that Nest quick video and you can see bond in it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> you can see why they were like, Oh yeah, you could be bond. Uh, it's pretty funny. So Nick, you requested that we talk about this movie. What about this movie like made it one of the things that you wanted to be sure you came on to discuss on the protagonist podcast? And I love this choice. I'm really glad that we got to talk about this version of Batman. But what stands out about this version for you? So the funny the funny thing is is like I've done a few episodes with you guys, and even from the very first time that we met as podcast brothers <laughs> and you were like, Hey, you should come on and be on our show. And I was like, sure. What do you want me to talk about? You're like, well, we're doing an episode about stranger things. Do you want to come on and do it? And I was like, sure. I love stranger things. I'm nowhere in any way, like an expert at stranger things, but I'm willing to talk about anything. Cause I, you know, I'm a podcaster. That's what we do. Um, but even at that day, I was like, Oh, what we should talk about is Batman. <laughs> I was like, we should talk about Batman, Adam West Batman. Um, but I felt so like, I was like, I don't know. Great character and a great story. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, I was just like, it's just fun. Like, it's just fun. And that's all it is. I mean, if you're going through and looking for, you know, the deep meaning of what, you know, Commodore Schnit mm -hmm. Schnitlap actually means, then you're you're watching the wrong show. But if you're watching yeah. a show just to be entertained, like throughout the whole thing, like there is not a dull moment in in this show. Like I watch it and I cannot think of any time that I'm like, oh, well, this is dragging. Like, really? <laughs> like, come on, let's get to the next part because it's just 
you know, the pacing's really good. Um, and honestly, I think that in some ways, like we live, we live in a world where like something doesn't have value in like, like people don't believe that something has value unless there's more of a meaning, like a meaning behind it other than just to entertain. And I think that in a lot of ways, Hollywood and TV is, is going away from that. And I think that, and sometimes we just need to be reminded that it's okay to just have a really fun character that's just in the silly, like nonsensical thing that's just there to entertain. We don't need to have, you know, more than that in some ways. And, you know, it's refreshing to turn your brain off and just enjoy, you know, watching Batman run around in tights with a giant bomb over his head trying to <laughs> you know get rid of it like i mean there's and, and deliver absurd lines with a straight face that <laughs> it's it's pretty fantastic what they do i mean in some ways it, it, it's something that we've brought up before several times on podcast like the idea of edgar Allan poe's unity of effect which he is talking about like to create kind of a creepy atmosphere that every choice that the author makes in terms of diction and topic and plot uh, and even like sentence structure should be to create the overall effect that they want to pull out of the reader. And again, he's talking largely about creepiness, but I think Batman, the 1966 Batman successfully does that for campy fun. Like every choice from costume design to how brightly uh, the uh, colored the, the sets are to the kind of dialogue that gets written to the delivery from the actors to the directing with the, the bam and the pow, which is still the bane of like comic book fanboys who were like, it needs to be taken seriously. And every headline always has the bam and the pow from this. Like that's a valid part of comic book history is the idea of the bam and the pow and the onomatopoeic. Uh, well, word those comic book boys need to be reminded they need to be reminded that Batman was almost canceled. The, the comic book was almost canceled before the show came out. DC was, was struggling like big time. And it was, I mean, comic books were almost dead at this point. Yeah, and, and it was mainly because, I mean, and a lot of historians and scholars will say that because of the success of this show, we are now able to celebrate 50 years of Batman or however, 60 years or however many years we've got now. Um, uh, 80, 80, uh, 80. 80. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, this year. you know, we just, we just sell, you know, and, and he's become such a main mainstay character. I mean, I, I would be hard pressed to find very many people in the world that you can't say Batman and they at least know something, you know, at least something about him. Like he's become that, big of a part of our culture and it was because they decided to do a tonal shift they decided to create something that you know people could just enjoy and have fun and pow and whap and whatever that you know we can now have if you want a oh, batman you know <laughs> if you know if that's the batman you love he never would exist and so you need to thank the bright knight and the boy wonder um and the people that had this vision of the show to bring you, you know, good media later too. So keep that in mind when you're getting mad <laughs> about the pow and the whip. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, yeah. Like you said, like everyone who was working on this knew what it was that they were trying to create and they were successful at it. And it is what it is. And I think sometimes some of the versions don't quite work. It's they're serving too many masters. So like the, 
like the other live action version that is closest tonally to this is that Batman and Robin uh, film with George Clooney and, uh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, and I think that one, you can see the they're trying to serve too many masters. They're trying to sell toys. They're trying to make an adult action film. They're trying to uh, have produce way too uh, many characters. Yeah, introduced to me. Well, well, I mean, this one has so many characters too. Like the 1966 one has so many characters and it, it works somehow. I think even if you haven't watched the first season of the show, you can watch this and you're not going to get lost. And I have never thought about yeah. that. Because I, I mean, um, I always thought Batman and Robin, wow, they had three villains and three heroes. They were introducing three villains and a new Batgirl. And it just fell flat, you know? But in yeah, this show, I, they I, successfully navigate, you know, having all of these different villains. That's and it. some of that <laughs> is the actors know exactly what they're doing. Like Frank Gorshin's Riddler is amazing. He won an <laughs> Emmy for his, he won an Emmy for his, you know, portrayal of it. The other thing, is, I, he was in, a, he was one of the uh, 1960s Star Trek episodes with the, wasn't he one of the guys with the black and the white face? Am I remembering yes, that right? Yes. Okay, that's a good that's a good um, episode too. Where yeah, it is. Yeah, um, where like if yeah, you have his, black his... on the left side of your face, then you're shunned. <laughs> then if you have black on the right side, of, yeah, that was a good episode. Way before it's time, but yeah, I mean the. He... Uh, Go ahead. I was just gonna say also like Cesar Romero's Joker. That is a really good take on the Joker, <laughs> and there have been lots of takes on the joker and i'm not like there's so many different versions of it but this is another example of like this character has some flexibility that um you can love the uh mark hamill animated version you can love the uh batty you can love heath ledger yeah. you can love joaquin phoenix I mean, you can but love... But there's the Cesar Romero definitely works as a version of of the Joker. And, and I just all love totally that in different. Hollywood, there was a time when somebody could say, you know what? I am not shaving off my mustache. You just need to paint over it. Well, um, for my you know, time. they do still say that sometimes, Nick. I know. Well, <laughs> but it's not, it's not act. It's not the actor still, saying still it. It's the, the movie universe. saying, Hey, you know what? Superman, you can have an odd lip for Batman's, <laughs> you know, we're going to CGI it out. Um, but also one, just a fun little fact is after the show aired, there was everyone in Hollywood wanted to be in the, be on the show. Like, I mean, it was kind of like the cool thing. It's like when Charmed came out and like every actor just wanted to be uncharmed for some reason. I don't, you know, like if you go back and watch Charmed, like every actor that's now in it was in that show. It's kind of crazy. But um, so so they couldn't they were they were running out of villains. So they made up some like there's one villain called the Archer that does not appear in comic books at all. The only time he's ever appeared in a Batman thing is is in this show. Um, they created Egghead, which was Vincent Price, and, and then, ha- but Egghead he, has shown up occasionally. In yeah, the comics. and he does. He has shown up in the comics, but there's a lot of you know people that they just made up, um, and they they got to the point where they're like, we we don't have you know like Fred Astaire and you know people are just coming out of the woodwork saying I want to be on this show, and um, so that's when they came up with the idea of having when they're walking up the walls, people come out of the 
of the window and are like, the window. right, somebody was walking up the walls. And that's when they would yeah. do all the cameos for people. Um, and this one has John Frank, Wayne at the beginning. Frank Sinatra, after he saw the first, saw Cesar Romero do it, he said, I want to play the Joker. And they were like, well, sorry, Cesar Romero is already doing it. <laughs> we're it. not just going to change him, you know, change it. Um, yeah. And so he, he never actually got in. Another funny uh, little thing about, I just know way too much trivia about the show, is that there are episodes in like the third season or the second season with a guy named the Puzzler. And originally uh-huh. those were supposed to be for the Riddler. But he was tired of playing the character, and so he said, "I'm, uh, I don't want to do it." And so they just like inserted other villain that's almost the same as as Riddler, and just called him the Puzzler, uh, which is pretty funny. But it was only for I, two. I episodes. remember a bit of trivia I read, and I, I'm trying to double check it now. But that the Riddler like appeared in 1940s Batman comics, and then had a really long gap where he just never showed up in the comics and it was this tv show that like re uh inserted him into the rogues gallery for batman um but i'm trying to verify that and i'm not i think i mean that does make sense i know i know that um the riddler was in the very first episode so he was right off the bat like and and i know that his performance was so well received that he and and Cesar Romero are tied for most appearances in the show because people loved the Joker and people loved the Riddler. And so, I mean, much like, you know, Marvel movies are doing now. I mean, nobody knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were, but now they're, you know, in everyone's mind. And so, yeah. you know, a a resurgence or a popularity, you know, came about a great performance from a, in a good show. So, so I'm looking it up and I don't know that this is completely accurate, but someone has created a Riddler appearance list on comic vine. And it is a couple appearances in 1948. And then there's a gap until 65, 66, 67, 67, 68, 68. You know, he starts showing so, up yeah. pretty regularly. Makes sense. <laughs> so it would be, you know, right when this show was airing, give the people um, what they want. Good job, Stanley. Oh wait, no, it wasn't Stanley. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I'm sure he would have made a cameo appearance if they'd asked. Uh, it's true. Excelsior. You noted that like the, the main joy in Batman, the movie from 1966 is just in kind of having fun, watching these great performances, laughing at the campy jokes that everyone is in on. But there are some elements that do kind of root it in the time. So you do have like the idea of war surplus sales and the U.S. military <laughs> looking incredibly hapless and naive. Have you sold like any Batman's pre-atomic cow. submarines? He's like, have you, have you, have you, sir, have you sold sold any submarines recently? Uh, yes, affirmative, Batman. We disposed of a war surplus sur- <laughs> submarine last Friday. Uh, pre-atomic model. Uh, to some chap named. P. N. Gwyn. And then Robin is the one who cracks that, that puzzle <laughs> for us. Like, is there something wrong, Batman? Disposing of pre-atomic submarines to persons who don't even give their full address? Good day, Admiral. And then the guy's like, oh, shucks. <laughs> like, he's just like, oh. And it's like, I want to know where I can get a pre-atomic submarine because I 
<laughs> you know, like and can did I the call US it military the Navy? <laughs> just giving away. Did they, did they decorate it like a penguin, or was that post sale? <laughs> it was like, yes, I would like this, but will you paint it as a penguin? And my name is Mister P and Gwyn, and I'm only giving you a PO box number. <laughs> no red flags uh, on there. Don't call the CIA, yeah. please. <laughs> And there's obviously the absurd, like, nod towards the super divided Security Council and, like, maybe if we... uh, Well, and maybe even just a little bit of, like, oddities of, you know, they're all from different countries and different races, but their powder is all a different color. Yeah. And and yet all the henchmen are all the same color. I, I don't know. That just you had to separate the powders. You you had to help out. You had to be able to separate them. So you know that's yeah. how. Yeah, I mean, that has to has to work. One thing that I did think was funny too while watching this was even when they do the first, even when they do the first like zapping of all the henchmen, and then they're all in those piles. The penguin says. Catwoman, go get a broom and sweep these guys up. And then they all sit there and watch the woman do the work. And I'm like, oh, this is so 1966. And then she's like tapping it in. And he's like, they all had mothers. Remember, they all had mothers. And when she's tapping it in, you can clearly see all the dust like falling off the edge of the thing. The stuff is like missing. Completely going out of the vial. And you're just like, all right, well, they probably just didn't want to do a second take. (laughs) A lot of money. good. (laughs) <laughs> we're good we're good nobody we got a backhopter we gotta we gotta go shoot the backhopter scenes so oh, I love uh, it no so I, I mean i'm not in any way arguing that this is like some grand commentary on the times but it is still rooted in the times when it's being made it's so uh, wonderful. and you can see some of those elements even like just leading into the campiness like there was a camp craze in the 1960s that this is definitely a part of uh the opening <laughs> credit sequence i was surprised how stylish the opening credits were it, like it it did feel um, like uh, some of the high end, uh, more more like Hitchcockian thriller kind of kind of opening credit sequence. Um, but they're still again like firmly keeping their tongue in cheek as they do it. Like I think they used the same shot of Robin twice in it just for fun. I'm pretty sure. Like there's no way that was an accident. <laughs> that that something like that uh, slips in there. So they they know what they're doing. It all works. It comes together into a pretty joyous package. And if if uh you go in with that, like you said, with those expectations, you're going to have a great time watching it. If you go in looking for the Joker or the Dark Knight or, you know, Batman v Superman, you're going to be pretty Classic disappointed. Classic Catwoman, uh, like, fighting. That's the other thing is Catwoman, like, during the big fight scene, she just goes and hides and behind everyone and then everyone right. else fights. <laughs> and then right at the end, she goes and pushes, she goes, she goes and pushes Batman off of the edge of the submarine and then she's the only one standing at the end and she's like, <laughs> And everyone else is like falling off the submarine into the water. I was like, oh, Catwoman, she should go and fight. She's awesome. But yeah, different time. <laughs> which is which is funny. There's so many good um like like dry lines in this show. Like one of the ones that I love the most is when um uh Alfred, who um is talking to Batman and he just says, what is the scheme? So, and Batman says tonight, Bruce Wayne is going to go on the town with Miss Kitka, a not, a not displeasing chore, sir. And then this is my favorite line, like one of my favorite lines in the whole show. He says, indeed, Alfred, I've rarely met a girl with such a potent argument 
in favor for international relations. <laughs> and there's just so much, <laughs> there's just so much in that line because he's completely yeah. in love with this girl at this point. <laughs> and he's just like, and even when there's the big reveal at the end, when, when Batman finally realizes that Kitka is Catwoman because her mask falls off. There's this huge like pause where I mean there's I mean it's pretty good acting for what it's supposed it to be where you Adam can West's just face, see right? that his that he is so sad and and Robin goes gee gosh golly Batman I'm sorry and Batman takes a moment collects himself and he says cuffer you know and he says put the bat put the bat cuffs on you know that's the that's the uh, blight of being a crime fighter or something along those lines. And I mean, even just something like that, it's just so funny that it's so serious, you know, I mean, he, he truly liked this woman and I mean, you know, and the whole time she was, she didn't realize that Bruce Wayne was Batman either, but um, yeah, that's, that's a funny little, that's just a fun little, thing in there and it's that kind of stuff that happens in this movie that doesn't happen very often in the show i mean it kind of does but like this is some prime writing for the movie they pulled out all the stops the other thing i one other thing that i love is the absurdity of the riddler's riddles <laughs> okay i'm glad we got this because this has been in my back pocket for like if, if we need to talk okay. else, i want to address these riddles <laughs> all right so, so let's do you remember off... them word for word? I remember more or less what they were. Okay, so but... let's start off with what is yellow? What has yellow skin and writes a ballpoint banana? <laughs> right. <laughs> Two. What people are always in a hurry? Russian, Russian people. people. Russians. <laughs> right again. Now, what would you say they mean? Banana. Russians? I've got it. Someone Russian is going to slip on a banana peel and break their net. Precisely, Robin. The only possible meaning. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's that, like that line where he says, like, the only possible meaning and the way Adam West delivers it. That's when you, like, as any kind of savvy viewer, like beyond a child, you gotta say, oh, they know what they're doing now. Like, this is deliberate. Yeah, you, you cannot... gotta pick up on that. Yeah. Be like, oh, this like, is... On purpose. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. What's the other one? Um, There's the, uh, the, the bird. What goes up white and comes down yellow and white? An egg. How do you divide 17 apples uh, among 16 people? Make applesauce. Apples into <laughs> applesauce? A unification into one smooth mixture. An egg? Nature's perfect container, the container of all our hopes in, of the future, a unification and a container of hope, the United World Organization. Precisely, Robin. <laughs> or they, they had already worked out. The no, it's the one where it gobbles up? Yes, this is where they'd already oh. said. Now, if you remember, they, they already established that Catwoman is part of this group because the first incident happened at sea. C is, C, is for for, C, is, C is for Catwoman. <laughs> but they seem to have forgotten and needed to be reminded because there's another set of riddles about this. What does a turkey do when he flies upside down? He anyone, gobbles. Anyone? 
gobbles up. But but I don't understand the up part. <laughs> it's obvious. He gobbles up. Okay. Uh, he's gobbling up. He's upside down. His mouth is pointing towards the sky. So he's gobbling up. As opposed to when he usually gobbles down? Yep. <laughs> yep. 100%. And, uh, Clearly you are not an ace crime fighter like Joe. I know. Well, wait for it. Can you get this one, Andrew? What weighs six ounces, sits in a tree, and is very dangerous? Easily, that is a sparrow with a machine gun. Okay, you can be a crime fighter, because you, you, you didn't nail <laughs> no, that maybe, one. Maybe we can let you be, like, Batgirl. <laughs> appears in a handful of episodes. No, she's in all of season three. Season three is the best yeah, season, because Batgirl's season in all of season three. Uh, and, when, she, and she has a little vignette of when she's introduced. Yeah. So... Uh, now, wait, wait. Our, our listeners may be wondering, what did those two clues have to do with Catwoman? Well, yeah. what would gobble up a sparrow? A cat. Clearly. Therefore, a cat. Catwoman is part <laughs> of the scheme. And that, I don't know why they launched this missile to remind them that Catwoman is in this, because that's pretty I, much all we get out of the sequence. <laughs> but I also just love the missile launching sequence. To He just, you know, is firing these torpedoes or missiles. I mean, they're not even torpedoes out of the submarine, into the sky, and somehow it is riding in the clouds. Well, I... These I, absurd riddles. I mean, you guys keep asking, you keep saying, why would he remind somebody? It's in the show. In the show, he has a monologue about why he has to write it. At the very end, when he's launching the last riddle, Catwoman's like, Riddler! Stop that! You must be mad, Riddler! Penguin has finished Batman by now, and he's like, yes! What a or what is it? Okay, let me let me collect my thoughts here. Okay, he says, "Why what miserable waddling? What is it? Wadding something of a bird? I can't remember." He he calls him something, and he's like, "He couldn't fish. He couldn't finish a bag of popcorn." And the the Joker says to him, "So say Penguin failed. All the more reason to have to not have any more of your crazy clues." And he says, "Oh." But I must, I must. Outwitting the Batman is my sole delight, my joy, my heaven on earth, my very paradise. And then he giggles <laughs> and he leaves. So, uh, I mean, that's... Uh, that really hasn't clarified why he's, he's reminding them about Catwoman, though. Yeah, that's one. I mean, I don't know why you're asking that question. It's clearly because <laughs> there's no reason statement. other than his joy it's his, his paradise. It's his heaven on earth. It's his yes. paradise to be able to outwit Batman. And if he can even do that by doing a sparrow with a machine gun, <laughs> that's what brings him joy in your life. So the moral of this story is find what brings you just a little joy. Follow your bliss, right? Even <laughs> and follow your even bliss. Even involves writing riddles in the sky with missiles. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I All right, Nick, so much. do you have any final thoughts on Batman? I have to tell you one story. I have to tell you one story about about me as a young lad. So when I was when I was young, um my dad knowing being the good dad that he was, we went to a local car show um and they had the Batmobile there. This was probably when I was I don't know. I was probably younger than 12. I was probably 10, 12 years old. Um, I don't know exactly when it was. And Adam West was there with the Batmobile. And, um, you know, we walked up and this was before it was like, okay to charge for autographs. (laughs) (laughs) And so we walk up there and my dad was like, 
And Adam West was like, yeah, $10 for an autograph. And my dad was like, there's no way we're getting an autograph. Like, we can't afford that. And I mean, I totally get that because, I mean, we didn't do a lot of stuff like that when I was young. Um, and so, like, I mean, I was I was okay with it. But my dad, being the proud father that he was, when we went up to meet him, you know, he's up on this platform, you know, like a stage. And I mean... I go to Comic-Con now and like, I thought I was waiting in a line to go see him. No, there was like 20 people in the line. Like is, this was not a, you know, this is not Comic-Con waiting for three hours to go meet Adam West. This is wait 10 minutes. Oh my gosh. It's the longest ever. Right. And you're, I mean, he's right there. And so we go up there and my dad, you know, proud as can be says, you know what, Adam, my son loves your movie so much that he can recite the entire thing word for word. And that was true at that time. I've, I've gotten a little rusty as, you know, clearly as we found out on this and Adam West, you know, squares his shoulders up and he says, well, let's have a test. And I was terrified. I was like, what? <laughs> and he's, and he's like, come over here, son. And he's like, grab the microphone. And he pulled up this microphone and I thought that he was going to do like, like a hard part of it or something, you know? And so he's like, bring over the microphone so that the, the fans can see this young boy perform. And he holds up and he says, okay, what comes next on this line? And he says, some days you just can't get rid of a, and then he hands me the microphone <laughs> and I'm like, a bomb. <laughs> Like, really? That's what you choose? I could have given you the whole dialogue from like, you know, like, but, you know, in my mind, I was just like, oh, my gosh, a bomb. And then I continued like saying like another part of the show. And I think I probably did the part where it's like, see, see for Catwoman. And he was like, wow, this boy really knows his stuff. And I was, you know, proud as a peacock at that point. And he and he says, well, son, I can't give you a signature of one of these photographs, but I'm going to sign this random piece of paper for you because you did such a good job. And so I have somewhere in my uh, I mean, I got to find this. I know that it's in my studio somewhere, but I have a signed autograph of, of Adam West in red Sharpie on the back of some like random paper that he just had sitting on that desk. And I had it hanging up like on my pegboard um for a very long time in like growing up through school um but yeah i i mean that was my i got to meet the bright knight time and at the very first salt lake comic-con he did come um and and i wanted really badly to get his autograph but it was expensive um and they had a co so they they had this random panel where they had adam west and William Shatner mm -hmm. talk, talk about their time, you know, like just talk, you know, like they had a co-panel with them. And the funny thing is, is that Burt Ward was there too. <laughs> and so they had a panel. They decided to do a panel with William Shatner and Adam West instead of just having a Batman panel. <laughs> and this was before, like, when they were still trying to make a lot of money. And so they said that you had to pay for this panel. Like you had to pay to get in, um, you know, and it, they were hoping, you know, that they would make more money. And so I was like, I, I would love to go to that panel, but I, 
you know, I'm I'm not going to pay money to go in. Like I just didn't have enough money. Um, and so like I was, I knew that the panel was going on and I was just kind of like sad that I wasn't going to go and be able to see Adam West talk about it. And all of a sudden over the PA system, there's this announcement that says, we have decided to open up the panel for William Shatner and Adam West um, for anyone to come in. It is now free to attend. And it was about halfway done. And if you ask my wife, she literally saw me drop everything that I was doing, grab my backpack, and in like a Batman motion, I just started running. <laughs> like I just ran <laughs> all the way across and I, all the way across Comic Con and just ran right to the panel room and then just sat down on the side and caught the end of it. And, and, you know, my wife texted me while I was running and she said, I'll just meet you there. And she got there probably like five <laughs> minutes later. Um, but then at that same Comic-Con, I got to meet Burt Ward and I got his signature um, because somebody was nice enough to give. They had Comic-Con cash at that one. And so I was oh, able to. Yeah. I, somebody was like, I'm not going to use this. And it was like the end of the con. And they were like, here, you can just have this because I'm not going to use it. And I was like. I'm going to go get Batman's autograph, but he was already gone. And so I was like, I'm going to go get Robin's autograph. And it was right at the end of the con. And I go up and I'm like, Burt Ward, just so you know, you have made a great impact in my life. You know, and I was like, um, you know, Robin is one of my favorite characters. My call, you know, my call sign or you know, my gamer tag on like everything is boy wonder. Because I love Robin and I love your representation of Robin. And he was like, well, that's great. And he just signed it. And then he got back on the phone. And I was like, oh, well, that wasn't very like. But it, I mean, it was the end of the day and he was trying to go not, home. Not the most magical you experience. Know? <laughs> you know, but um, those are my two experiences meeting Adam West and Burt Ward. Um, I I actually got a, a recommendation from somebody at the con then they're like when you go meet Burt Ward ask him about dog food and I was like what and he's like oh because you he's, ask, uh, yeah if you ask him I've, about I've heard dog him food talk about this stuff yeah if you ask him about dog food then he'll talk to you for like 20 minutes about all of this organic dog food that he makes he is a very big um, advocate for animals and for dogs and he makes his own dog food and he like sells it and all sorts of stuff um and so they were like, if you want to talk to him for a long time, I am severely allergic to dogs. So I have never really had one. And so I was like, ah. <laughs> and, and he, you could see that he wanted to get back on the phone. Like when I was talking to him. So I was like, uh, oh, it's all right. Like it was awesome to meet him. Um, couple other notes that I just want to say is that there is a memoir that Burt Ward wrote about Batman and in it, there's a lot of like salacious stuff. Like it's kind of like they talk a lot about like how, you know, there was always women coming and everyone was just throwing themselves at him and stuff like that. And later on, he 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 said that he regrets writing that and that a lot of the stuff was fabricated because his publishers really wanted him to like give them dirt and stuff about it. And so sometimes this show gets a bad rap online and stuff because they're quoting they're quoting stuff from like 
things that may or may not have happened. Like there's a lot of jokes on like family guy and stuff like that about, you know, Batman groping people and stuff like that. And there may or may not be truth to it, but you know, just, just kind of keep that in mind that a lot of those rumors come from the book that Burt Ward himself regrets writing because he was just poor and he didn't have anything to do. And that was something that he could do to make money and that his, his uh, publishers really encouraged him to elaborate a lot. So I would not recommend reading. I've read it. It's pretty funny. There's some cool stuff in there, but there's some stuff that you're like, yeah, I don't know if I really care to know about like <laughs> that much of the behind some, the scenes. Those um, details. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, just, I just thought I'd share that. Cause I mean, it's information that I know and other people might not know. And, the more mm-hmm. you know. Ding, ding, ding. So. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. But once again, I just want to make clear the 1960s Batman is a perfectly valid interpretation of the character. And it's real, guys. <laughs> it's not like like so many people I hear talking about is like, yeah, that's not the real Batman. It was. It was the real Batman. <laughs> that was a version that existed for a long time. This campier. And it um, was the real Batman yeah. for 20 years plus mm-hmm. yeah because until, it wasn't in it wasn't until michael keaton until they made a michael keaton movie that it well, was even in, in the comics you know, it gets a little more serious but it's not until the frank miller stuff in in the mid 80s like just yeah. before the michael keaton movie that and that's the and comics that's even more, go that dark yeah yeah oh, oh another funny i just had another funny thought the reason why batman's ears are shorter in this show is originally in the costume set they had them long like batman's like you know cowl but they made a conscious decision to make him shorter because when they panned in to do like a a portrait shot of him then they would be cut off on the top Mm. and they wanted to be able to frame it better so they chose to cut off his ears for the aesthetic of the show which i kind of if you ever want to see I love bad it, bad ears. Go look at the serial, the costumes from the Batman serial from the 1940s. <laughs> or some of the bad. 80s comics. Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's his, some poor choices. It's, it's like instead of going shorter like Frank Miller, like it's like, you know what? Let's just make him as long as his arms are when his hand is extended. <laughs> like yeah. there's some of those uh, costume choices that those artists did that was pretty pretty amazing. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast and your podcast app of choice. And please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our, our logo. You're welcome. And Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you may want to go check out episode number 16, way back in the early days when we talked about All-Star Superman or episode number 41, still from our first year, when we talked about Batman in the Court of Owls comic book storyline. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or else on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jadorowski and our producer Andrew is at DizMinute and our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Nick, is there anything you would like to plug? Um, I am an artist, so if you want to go see some of my artwork, um, you can go to nickenglishart.com. It's spelled N-I-K, English like the language, art.com. Um, I am also a co-host on the Fandom Podcast. And if you would like to come and join the conversation, we have a Facebook group that is facebook.com slash fandomaniacs because that's what our fans are called. Um, and you can come it's join the conversation. So nice that you have a simple name for that. A nice, nice catchy name. 
Well, we've discussed before that it was not us that chose that name, which is usually <laughs> the best choice. So it's a good choice. If there's any uh, protagonists out there that want to have a good name or can come up with a good name for all of us taggers out there. Um, well, then I, I'm pretty sure protagonist is you just nailed it. We, we don't need to have yeah, any more discussion. The protagonites. I don't know. <laughs> I just like knights. Maybe we should just call we should just call ourselves the knights. The knights who say neat or neat. something else. <laughs> oh. Oh, or the I, knights I was who waiting say, to see if 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 Monty Python was gonna make an appearance. Or the knights who say Or the knights, that's good too. <laughs> well thank you I, again. I'm really listeners. trying hard, guys. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Here to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Take care. Well, before we move on to the full, oh, hold on, I'm going to cough and it's going to ruin this this take. I'm going to mute this. Hold on. I'm back. Okay. Back Just again. If, if I if I have to edit it out, there's not a great reason to hit mute anyway. I just didn't want you guys to hear what was about to come out of my chest. No, I wanted to experience <laughs> that with you. It's part of the fun of doing a podcast the the bond of podcasters is hearing all the sounds that get edited out